Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day. Yeah, love seeing this room packed out, right? It is good. Jesus is alive. That's what we get to celebrate today. His, his death and particularly his resurrection, changed everything. Everything. Today we're going to jump into this story. I want to read the actual story today. I hope you've gotten to follow along in our Bible plan this week. How many of you did that on the app? Some of you. It was so good. I think it ends tomorrow. It has just been so, so good. Uh, really reading through all the events of Holy Week sort of as they happened throughout the week. Absolutely awesome. So we're going to talk today a little about how Jesus made everything new, how he changed everything. And we're going to start reading today in Matthew 27. Are you ready? All right, that side's ready. I don't know about the rest of (laughs) y'all. Okay, Matthew 27, verse 35. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the King of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And each sentence from here just keeps getting weirder. Are you ready? The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. Truly was the Son of God. Look, there, there are so many details in this story, mind blowing, amazing details that we could focus on today. We could focus on the fact that Jesus didn't care about all the people who had abandoned him or really the people ridiculing him, or the fact that he was nailed to a cross. Not one complaint about any of those humongous details. 
He only got somewhat close to complaining during this whole ordeal when God, his father, turned his back on him. Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That is the only person who Jesus cared about abandoning him. It's one of my favorite details of that story, actually. Or we could talk about how Jesus released his spirit, right? How it wasn't taken from him. He released it. He chose to release his spirit. He chose to die. He chose to lay down his life. And he chose to do that for you, for me. We could talk about how when Jesus released his spirit, the earth shook. The very foundation of the earth shook. Even the earth was shook, bro. It's a big deal. Rocks split apart. Tombs opened, right? It's an amazing detail. Or we could, we could talk about how the bodies of many godly men and women were raised from the dead. Like, what happened there, right? I need so many more details for that particular sentence in the Bible. Like, that's one of the, the questions I, I can't wait to ask God someday. Like, I hope that I get to meet one of those people in heaven. And like, it, it just has to be a good story. You just were raised from the dead randomly and went around talking to people? Like, how did that go over? I can't wait to hear that story. Or we could talk about how the fact that even the Roman soldiers who were ordered to kill Jesus said, what did we just do? Right? They said, this, this has to be the Son of God. They were terrified. There's so many details about this amazing story. But today, in the beginning of this new Made New series on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk for just a minute about how Jesus made new how we relate to him, to God, our creator of heaven and earth. The way that we see and interact with the creator himself was changed in this very moment. And it has to do with one of the facts that I just find completely fascinating about this story. The curtain, the veil in the temple was torn in two. Did you hear that detail? The moment Jesus released his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn into top to bottom. Now, just to get an idea of how crazy this is, the veil was actually an incredibly important feature of the temple. It was 65 feet tall. How tall is this room? 18? So a lot taller than this. (laughs) Like a lot taller. I mean, it was 65 feet tall. It was... 10 feet wide, and it was 10 centimeters thick. So anyone else feel like veil is not a proper term for what this thing was? It was a wall, like a solid wall, but not made out of brick. <laughs> okay, it was so thick, and it separated, what it did, in the, in, it functioned in the temple as a separation between the Holy of Holies, where God himself dwelt, and the average Joe. It separated the presence of God from people. The very presence of God, the tangible and thick, was in the Holy of Holies. And only one guy, once a year, got to go inside of that room. And and it was after a very long and arduous process of becoming clean enough to do so. See, God is so good. He's so good. That anything not good cannot exist within him. His goodness is active. 
It's not passive. It, it expels the bad, gets rid of it, right? We often think of, of good as being sort of passive, like you're, you're refraining from doing bad things. That's what makes you good. But God's goodness is not like that. It is active. It radiates, pushes out the bad. And so when they would send in a priest into this Holy of Holies once a year, they would actually tie something, a rope around his ankle, just in case he didn't do his cleansing processes correctly, and he actually died in the presence of God. And they'd pull him back out. I know there's some young ones in the room today. I don't mean to give you nightmares, but crazy, right? And the Holy of Holies was a, a special place. And when Jesus released his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn in two. This isn't just something that happens. I can see an earthquake maybe tearing it a little bit or messing it up, making it fall down, something like that. But tearing it from top to bottom is nothing short of miraculous. This happened on purpose and for a purpose. That veil was constructed by the very instruction of God. God himself told them to put it there. And it was this symbol of not being good enough, right? I can't ever get to God, not as a normal, everyday person. It's, it's a, a separation between me and him. It was the symbol of not being good enough. Us and God, it's a separation. And when Jesus died on that cross as a perfect and holy sacrifice for our sins, he cut that separation. He tore in half the thing that separates us from the very presence of God. Remember, 65 feet tall. 10 feet wide, 10 centimeters thick. Is that something that would just occur naturally? Of course not. And afterward, it got me thinking. Like Jesus did this amazing thing when he died. And you'd think the temple would, would have been irreparably damaged. Like, closed for business, no one could worship there anymore. Right? You would think that they would have realized their mistake at that point. Jesus tore the veil. Our temple is no longer valid. Like, we can't worship there anymore. You would think something would have had to happen, but somehow they ended up worshiping there for the next 40 years. We know this because the disciples continued to worship at the temple while they created the church. For another 40 years, they worshiped there. And I can just imagine the poor priest who went to investigate that day. Right, like, like, I'd I'd be praying, please don't strike me dead, please don't strike me dead, right? And going in there, like, assessing the damage. But God wasn't there anymore. The Holy of Holies wasn't the Holy of Holies anymore. The presence of God had left the building. But it just goes to show how fake the Jewish religion had become by that point. They didn't tell anyone God had left the building. They continued to worship there. And so my next thought was, OMG. They repaired the veil. They repaired the veil, the 65-foot veil by 10 centimeters thick. Can you imagine how much work that was? They repaired the veil. They didn't want a new system. They didn't want to be made new. They didn't want a new way to relate to God. They wanted heaven to be closed. They got used to it being that way. Even though they said they were looking for the Messiah. I mean, that's practically all the Jews talked about back then was the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. They said they wanted one, 
But they didn't actually want anything to change. They meant to change their way, give them more power, not change God's way. They didn't actually want what God was offering at all. And the first time I realized this, I think I just sat back and like wept for a while. God, how could they? After everything Jesus sacrificed for them, all that he did and taught and endured the pain of the cross, he loved them so much. He just wanted them to experience the goodness of God, and instead, they reject it. They lie about it. They cover it up so that they can hang on to their power and authority. It's heartbreaking. And on Palm Sunday, on Jesus' way into Jerusalem, he wept over the city. Because he knew. He came to do this for them, and they rejected him. Was he mad about it? No. He was sad for them. He was heartbroken for them. Because they wanted heaven to be closed. They wanted the barrier up between them and God. They wanted God far away and aloof. They stitched that veil back up. The first time I realized this, I just sat there and I said, God, how could they? How could they? And I just felt God whisper in my spirit, but you do it too. You do this too. I think we all do this all the time. We put those barriers back up. We, we want very specific prayers answered, but we want them our way, not God's way. And I think Aaron and I experienced this when we walked through kidney failure with him a little bit. Like, like we wanted immediate and physical healing, right? We didn't get it. I mean, he's healed now. His brother gave him a kidney. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right? It's amazing. Uh but that's not how we wanted it at the time. We wanted a very specific healing. We didn't want to have to walk through all that. Like, we, God was trying to unlock some promises in our lives that I think we still can't even quite put to words. We didn't want any of that. We wanted it our way. We wanted those barriers up. The, the faith built in seasons like that is absolutely irreplaceable. The, the revelations from life lessons you can't get that anywhere else except walking through a little bit of fire. And Jesus doesn't promise that we get to escape all the fires, but he does promise to be in them with us, right? Sometimes you got to walk through a thing or two, but we want things our way, not his. How could they, God? I just kept saying it. Like, no, I, I don't do this. I don't put that veil back up. Like, I know Jesus. I know he's, he lives within me now. This is not who I am. And yet, God kept saying, isn't it, though? <laughs> you do it, too. You stitch that veil back up, too. Every time you put barriers between you and me, every time you put status on something religious, Every time you get attached to things that aren't me. Every time you choose immediate comfort over long-term peace. Every time you, you try to find love and acceptance through anything but Jesus, you're putting that veil back up. 
Every time you give yourself to everyone and anyone, that sense of identity, you find that in something other than Jesus, you're putting a stitch in that veil. Every time you chase unconditional love in all the wrong places, you're putting a stitch in that veil. Every time you put a certain leader or preacher on a pedestal above Jesus, you're putting a stitch in that veil. Every time you think you can just give your way out of conviction or excuse it away, you're putting a stitch in that veil. We do this all the time. Every time you you worship a specific kind of church instead of the God within it, you're stitching up that veil. Every time you look down on other Christians, we're good at that, that at Christians, as Christians. We are, we're good at judging others. Every time you choose Netflix over reading the word for weeks on end, all of it, it's repairing that veil, stitch by stitch. We put those barriers back up when Jesus works so hard to tear them down. It's repairing that veil. Stitch by stitch. Do you know even good things can be repairs? Stitches in the veil? Like you can't be a Christian without supporting blank. You can't be a Christian without abstaining from blank. You, you can't be a Christian without literally anything except Jesus. Right? Volunteering at church could go in that blank can't be a Christian without church attendance. You can't be a Christian without being a good person. You can't be a Christian without giving a dollar at the grocery store when they ask you to round up, right? (laughs) Whatever it is you put in that blank, if it's not Jesus, it is stitching up that veil. Thomas Wilcox said, when we come to God, we must bring nothing but Christ with us. Any ingredients, any previous qualifications of our own will poison and corrupt faith. Whenever I'm tempted to put something in those blanks, I try to turn my mind to the thief on the cross. Hanging there beside Jesus, the the criminal who watched Jesus die, his legs broken to hasten suffocation, whose, whose body was more than likely dumped naked in a mass grave. Anything we put in those blanks should disqualify that thief from meeting Jesus in heaven that day. But there is no one in all of Scripture that has a more direct and unambiguous promise of being resurrected to live with Christ in heaven than that criminal on the cross who did nothing but believe in Jesus. That's all he did. I was talking to a man on his deathbed a little over a year ago. He was worried about dying because he still had doubts. He had believed for a few years, but had messed up along the way. Had done things he wasn't proud of, had doubts and questions still. He wasn't always obedient. And I quoted to him Romans 10, 13, which says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't add to that. Don't subtract from it. That is, the only qualifiers to that statement is that you're genuinely calling on the name of the Lord and that you have the right name. The name of Jesus is the name of the Lord. Anyone who genuinely calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Don't add to that. 
Don't add to it. Your belief has to be real, of course. And real faith changes things, right? Jesus loves you right where you are, but he doesn't leave you there. Real faith changes you from the inside out. It even changes your behavior and the way you think. But anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The, that veil used to be physical and in the temple, but now, today, it is spiritual and in our minds. We put it back up all the time. Stitch that thing back up. Put barriers between us and God again. And just like back then, it is no easy task. Jesus came to make us new, to give us freedom, to refresh the system, to renew it, to to fulfill the old ways and to make them new. Make the system easy and our burdens light. We keep going back. Look, maybe you wandered in here today to make someone else happy. Someone invited you and you're like, all right, fine. I'll go to church, right? Maybe you came because it's Easter and that's what you're supposed to do on Easter, right? Maybe you happen to be watching online right now. You were just scrolling and you, you picked one, picked a church. Maybe you think that it's a miracle lightning didn't rain down on you today or fire when you entered the, the doors of the church, right? I'm here to tell you today that God doesn't separate anymore. Jesus changed everything. Heaven is now open to you. God doesn't doesn't put the clean over here and the, the unclean over there. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't punish quite like he used to. He doesn't prophesy death and destruction anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. When you're disobedient, bad things tend to happen. Life does a pretty good job of disciplining us, and the enemy is pretty good at beating us up without any help. But Jesus took the punishment. Your pain, your selfishness, your mistakes, he took all of it. The veil is torn that no amount of stitching it back up can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. All we have to do is accept it. That's it. Just be forgiven. It is that easy. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. That he just wants us to experience that relationship again with our creator. That's the life we were created to live. But look, Easter isn't only about Jesus' death. It's about his resurrection. One of the things that we need to realize is the fact that Jesus was not raised to heaven. He was raised to earth. We often confuse the resurrection and the ascension where Jesus went up, ascended to heaven. But The Gospels all agree, and they're very clear about the fact that Jesus was raised and appeared on earth for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. He was resurrected to the same physical body that was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It's the same resurrection that is the first fruits of our resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. It is cosmic in its effects. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Everything, it forgives the past. It assures us of the fact that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But it also assures us of our future. The resurrection is the guarantee that the wrath of God has been appeased by the sacrifice of Jesus. And it also guarantees the new heaven and the new earth we will get to dwell in someday. The resurrection is everything to the believer. Everything. Without it, We have nothing to believe in about Jesus. 
It solidifies everything Jesus did and taught and sacrificed. The, the resurrection ensures that the veil stays torn, even when we try to stitch it back up. And I want to read that part to you today as well. Oh, no, sorry. First, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15 to prove this. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. New life. We get new life. We get to be made new. In him, we get to live in this world without a veil, without religion and rules and hoops to jump through. We get our sins forgiven. We get freedom and hope and peace. A believer, let me talk to you for just a moment. If you call yourself a Christian, a believer, look, I have come into the presence of God in a worship service just like this one, in this very room, in fact, and still counted myself out. God, I know how good you are, and I'm so not that. I don't deserve to be here. I know what I should do, and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I do it anyway. I'm all kinds of messed up. Like, I should not be here. I don't deserve you. And you know what God said? Some of you should know this because I tell this story a lot. But I love you. But I love you. I will never be good enough. That's the secret. You will never be good enough to get into the Holy of Holies. You will never be good enough to be in the presence of God. Jesus said not one is good. No one but the Father is good. We don't deserve him. I don't deserve him, and I never will. I cannot earn it. There's nothing I can do to cover up for all of the sin and selfishness in my life, all of the ways that I've chosen evil instead of good. The amazing thing is, Jesus gave it anyway. He gave it anyway. Of course you're not good enough. None of us are. He gave it anyway. Stop repairing the veil. Stop putting barriers between you and him. Jesus put in the work for you. Just accept it. Boldly walk into the throne room of grace, as Hebrews 4 puts it. The veil tearing was grace. The resurrection is grace. We don't deserve God. We don't deserve a relationship with him. We don't deserve freedom. But he gave it. It's a gift. We get to access the kingdom of heaven. Heaven has an open sign on it to us. The God of heaven and earth, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, the Alpha and Omega, El Shaddai, the beginning and the end, Jehovah Shama, the, the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer, the great I am. He wants to be known by you. It is an amazing thing. He smiles over you. You can just close your eyes right now and picture it. Right? Feel his presence. He is with you. He is close to you. And it is nothing short of miraculous that Jesus would not only take on our punishment, but that he would also give us 
his righteousness. The only one willing to do it, the only one qualified to do it. He left the presence of the Father so that you could have the presence of the Father. He now promises in in James 4 that he will come near to you. He promises that he will reveal his will to you. Isaiah 54. Did you know the the will of God doesn't have to be a mystery? Because that veil is torn. Right? He wants to speak to you. He will answer your call. Jeremiah 33, 3 says. And he will help you bear fruit. John 15, 5 says. He makes promises to you through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, he wants to know you, to be known by you. And his resurrection, what we're celebrating today, gives new life to everything he said and did and promises. He raised himself from the dead on his own power. His resurrection means everything to us as Christians, because if he can be made new, free from the power of, of sin and the grave, so can we. That's the power he gave us. And I'm going to read this today, but I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up as we read. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. He is risen. His presence brings restoration, miracles, joy, peace, comfort. These are promises to you. His answer is yes and amen when you ask for any of those things. He gives them because the veil is torn. The Easter message for you today is that you can be made new in the presence of Jesus. Jesus came for that very reason. Heaven is open to you today. All you have to do is accept it, to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And today, I want to give you a chance to receive that truth in your life. Receive Jesus and everything that comes with him. It means receiving freedom today, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable. Receive it because Jesus died for you. He believes in you. And he knows you can turn things around and be the person that he's called you to be, but you can't do it alone. He doesn't expect you to. He wants to help believe in Jesus today. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. If you got a little cup on your way in, go ahead and get that ready now. But first, I want to give you an opportunity. Jesus asked us to remember his body broken for him. 
to remember his blood poured out. But he also said that you have to make it genuine. I want to encourage you today, don't take communion today if it's not genuine. I don't want to give you an opportunity to make it so. Make it genuine. I actually believe that communion was meant to happen in everyday life. Jesus made it a meal of bread and juice so that it would happen almost three times a day, that we're meant to constantly remember what Jesus has done for us, and we're meant to do it with people. That every time you sit down around a table with your friends and family, you are meant to remember Jesus. I actually believe this is where the the practice of praying over our meals comes from. Thank you, Jesus, for providing for us. Thank you for what you did on the cross. And we eat this together in your name. That's what we're doing here today. We're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done for us. Before we do that, if everybody has communion now, can we all just bow our heads for a moment? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for enduring the pain, the shame, the ridicule, the horrible things everybody said about you. Enduring all of it, for walking through all of it, for choosing to walk through all of it for me. Thank you for being the perfect sacrifice, for laying your life down so that I could be in the presence of God. heads bowed and eyes so closed. Today you believe that for the first time or maybe it's been a long time and you want to say, you know what, I accept Jesus in my life, his sacrifice and what he's done for me. I believe it in my heart and I'm going to choose to confess it with my mouth. Say out loud, I believe in Jesus. That's you today. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you're sitting. If you're in the room, if you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. I believe in Jesus. Maybe it's the first time, the first time in a long time. Just keep that hand raised for just a moment. The ushers may slip you a card, just give you a little information about that decision. Anyone else? I believe in Jesus. I don't want to rush this moment. Okay. Father, we thank you. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for each and every soul that made that decision today and is currently being made new. That you are giving them new life. You're breathing your spirit into them as we speak. As they confess it out loud, you are just renewing them. So today, with heads bowed and eyes still closed, I I would like us to say this together. Will you pray this prayer with me? Everybody in the room, whether you've been saved one minute or a hundred years, repeat after me, Jesus, come on, Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for what you did on that cross. Today, I choose to live my life for you make you the Lord of my life. 
thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those that just made that decision for the first time? You are made new. Welcome to the family. It's your spiritual birthday today, April 17th, 2022. Amen. Let's get that communion ready. In fact, ushers, can I have one? Bring me a communion element. Father, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son. As we prepare ourselves to eat the bread and drink this juice in remembrance of what what Jesus did on that cross, we just humble our hearts. We thank you with our whole hearts. And we accept your sacrifice. Let's eat the bread together now as we remember his body broken for us. Jesus also asked us to remember his blood being poured out. That he had to walk through all of that pain. He shed the thing that gives him life. And he shed it for you that we could have that access to God. And so Jesus, today we thank you for your blood poured out for us. Thank you that you were willing to go through all that pain, all that shame, to give me new life in you. Let's drink together now. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate Jesus a little bit? When Jesus was raised from the dead, he told those women who saw him first to go and tell others. Right? That is the job from here today. And we remembered his sacrifice, and I hope you'll continue to do that as you go home and, and celebrate with colorful eggs and have dinner with your family today. Remember his sacrifice. Right? Tell others about what he's done in your life how he has raised you from the dead, how he has made you new, the difference that he's made in your life, it's your job to tell that. Don't hold his blessings all to yourself. They're not meant just for you. They're meant to overflow onto the world around you. Right? Amen? Amen. Let's sing together. Would you all stand with me? We're going to sing together one more time.
joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 